0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Psalms. If you are new to the Bible, the book of Psalms is uh, in the very center of the Bible. So you could just take your... Bible, go to the center, and you're probably landing in Psalms, and we're going to be looking particularly at Psalm 85, Psalm 85. Let me pray, and then uh, after I pray, we will jump into our study together. God, we come to you today, and we posture ourselves as those who need uh, feeding from your word. We cannot live... Um, By bread alone, but we live by your words, Lord. And so we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to uh, change us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would open up this text to our eyes, that you would uh, warm our hearts to respond, that we would see you, that we would know you better than we do, that we'd see you in a fresh way. And that we'd respond, Lord, and we pray that the heart of this text for renewal would be our experience. Come, Spirit of God, meet us, we pray. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think of, I want to ask you a question, what do you think of when you hear the word revival? When you hear the word revival, what do you think of? Maybe, do you think of like an old-time tent out somewhere and some guy with a southern accent yelling at everybody to repent, adding a syllable, repent, three-syllable word, (laughs) calling down hellfire and brimstone. Do you think of that? Is that revival? Is that what you think about a a revival tent meeting or something like that? Maybe uh, uh, Maybe you have a more historic idea. Uh, if you're a student of church history, maybe you think of the Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening. Maybe you think of revival as something where an entire area, city, region has changed. Maybe you think about certain uh, leaders in church history that you've heard of that were associated with revival, like Jonathan Edwards um, or George Whitefield or John Wesley, someone like that. Maybe you think of that when you hear revival. Maybe you think of something crazy, I mean, just crazy. Someone invited you. They said, man, there's revival breaking out. And they invited you to the meeting, and you got there, and it's, I don't know, some, some guy doing the Holy Ghost chicken walk and just nuts. You're saying, these people are crazy. I, I don't think this is the Holy Ghost. Uh, I think that they just forgot their meds or something. I don't know, but it's crazy. Help these people. Maybe you think it's just something nuts. Revival. Maybe you're like me. In the tradition I grew up in, we, well, we scheduled and announced revivals. Uh, We would say it like this, May 7th through the 10th, we're having a revival. Um, Now, I'm not really sure that you can calendar a move of the Lord, but, uh, but we announced it. And uh, the Lord was gracious and worked during those times. But what we meant was not really revival, I don't think. What we meant was we're, we're hosting an evangelistic campaign. That's what we meant. We called it revival. But revival is not in the first place about lost people being converted. You think about the word revive. Vive is live. Re is again. So it means to live again. And you can't live again if you haven't lived before. So revival is not primarily about lost people becoming Christians, it's about renewal, life again in the church, with a primary effect, the spilling out of life so that new people uh, who don't know Christ become new people in him. So maybe it's a, you think of a scheduled evangelistic campaign. That's what I grew up with, thinking of revival. Maybe you think of personal renewal. Here, here's a great one. I was with someone in this church, actually in this room, uh, a couple weeks ago, we're driving along and this guy says to me, I feel like I'm experiencing personal revival. I was like, lay your hands on me because I would like to experience, pray for me, man. I'd like to experience the same, but he's just describing his heart for the scripture and what God was doing in his life he said, I'm experiencing. So maybe you think of revival as personal renewal, something like that. We're starting a series today called revive And so we're going to land on this series with differing backgrounds, differing perceptions, different expectations. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not even going to open this series with a definition of revival. Uh, I'm not going to give an overview of revival. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to open this text that you have in front of you. I'm going to open Psalm 85 and... Allow the scripture just to breathe. We're going to open it and allow it to breathe and have more of an inductive approach. Um, rather than saying, here's what revival is, and then show it from the scripture, let's allow the text to inform our understanding of renewal, restoration, revitalization, these kind of ideas. Um, the theme verse for this whole series, and I don't know how long the series is going to go, um, Because it wouldn't be a good revival series if we could tell you exactly when it's in. We'll be done when we're done. And when we feel like the Lord's saying, go to the next uh, uh, book of the Bible to study through. But the theme verse for this series is going to be verse 6 in in Psalm 85. Psalm 85, 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? It's interesting, this psalm is going to reveal a lot of the typical characteristics and aspects of revival, both in the scripture and both in church history. So we want to be informed by what does scripture say about God as a God who renews his people? Does God renew his people? What does that look like? Are there causes to that? How can we understand that and how can we be renewed? Because here's the one thing I feel fairly confident on. Grace Church needs revival. I need revival. As I talk with people in the church, I praise God for the testimony I shared with you a few minutes ago from someone in our church. But the majority of people I talk with would say, I need renewal, and not that I'm experiencing it currently. That, that's the majority report, at least from my unscientific study of talking with people and asking. And so we want to look at what the scripture says and say, Lord, would you restore, renew, and refresh us? So let's read Psalm 85 together. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This psalm, um, I want to center on that one verse, spend a little more time on that one verse that we read, verse 6. But this psalm breaks down very easily in three sections. And all three um, are unique by sort of the time period, they're tense or their point of view. Verses 1 through 3 look at past mercy. It's a review of past mercies from God. Verses 4 through 7 look at a present distress. Uh, Verse 9 is kind of an independent uh, verse, or verse 8 kind of is. And then verses 9 through 13 look at future glory. So there's a look at past mercy a cry for revival in the midst of present distress, and then a look at future glory so i 'm going to break those down and, and look at it together the first The first section is on past mercy here 's how the psalmist begins see it 's a corporate psalm it 's national. Um, Psalms can be classified as uh, sort of different types of psalms. Some are laments, some are thanksgivings, some are a psalm of praise. Uh, This is a corporate or a national or a people of God lament. They're lamenting, they're in a difficult situation. And the first three verses look at past mercy. So what the psalmist does is he calls them to remember a previous day. Look at verse 1. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. So here's how the psalm begins. It begins remembering a time when God had reversed their situation. They went from a bad day to a good day. They went from suffering to blessing. They went from God feeling distant to God being thick in their midst and near. They they were restored. He says, restored the fortunes of Jacob. Jacob's the people of God, Israel. Israel. Um, and, and this language is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe when the people of Israel came out of captivity, God freed them from captivity and brought them home to their land. That may be the setting of this psalm. It doesn't say for sure, so we can't say that for sure, but it does really seem to fit well. You see, God's people had been brought into the land, and yet they, over the years, turned and followed other gods. God sent prophets. They disobeyed the prophets, and so God lovingly disciplined them. He brought a loving judgment to them, and he sent invaders who destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, and gathered the people of God and took them into a foreign land, into Babylon. After being in Babylon, God again spoke to his people through prophets. His people are turning to him, and he miraculously, mercifully takes them back to the land. And that's that's the kind of idea here. Lord, remember when you restored our fortunes, remember when you had favor on our land. Remember that time you renewed us, refreshed us, revived us. Remember that time when we were all saying God's doing a new work. God's moving. God's alive in our midst. We're experiencing him, excuse me. Certainly that was true then. And it may be true. That may be the context here. But regardless, it's a psalm that's to be used in corporate worship throughout the ages. That this is how God works with his people, that he is a renewing, refreshing God, that he will at times discipline his people for their good so that we see our need for him. And that's what's going on here. But it remembers this time when God did a new thing. In them, restoring favor, and it included verse two, forgiveness of iniquity. You forgave our iniquity. You covered our sin. Salai is a word for pause. It might be a, a, a musical interlude or a pause of some sort, moment for a guitar solo, kind of, or something. Just a pause there. So he's kind of think about that—that that you, we were forgiven. You withdrew your wrath. You turned away from your anger. So they had experienced God's discipline on them, and he restored them. And that's where he starts. They're in a time of distress now, but he remembers a time when God was working, and they were refreshed, and they had a new and a fresh hope. It was a new day. How about you? Can you remember a time like that? I mean, as you're sitting here today, if you're a Christian, can you remember a time when God worked in a renewing, refreshing way in your life, and your life turned. I'm not talking about your conversion, that would be the ultimate, but I'm talking about a time when it was like you were in renewal. God was working in your life. You think back to that time, and you think, I had a hunger for the Word. I mean, it wasn't a discipline like, I've got to read the Bible. I couldn't wait to read the Bible. God spoke to me. I couldn't wait to hear the sermon. I wasn't counting down the minutes. I wasn't thinking about what am I going to do this afternoon. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a smartphone, but I sure wasn't on Facebook in the sermon distracted by something else. Back in that day, I couldn't wait. I was on the edge of my seat. When we sang, I didn't have my arms crossed in dispassionate evaluation, I don't really like that song. What wonder why we don't sing this other song. Why aren't there more hymns? Why aren't there more contemporary songs? I don't really like. I wasn't like that. I was full force crying out to God. I was encountering the Spirit. I wasn't detract a distance detracted, assessing, judging. I wasn't dry, cold, I was engaged. Prayer was intimate. It was like Jesus was right there. You ever have a time like that where I was praying and I would lose track of time? I wasn't counting the moments until I reached the three-minute mark. I was saying, whoa, I sort of got distracted. I sang to Christ as I drove. And not only was I refreshed, but people around me were refreshed. I saw people come to Christ. I mean, that was a great day. That was a great time. I I, I was, the, the community was great. We were there for one another. Man, we were helping each other and studying the Bible and having a great time together. The church, my small group, my Bible study, whatever it was, it was alive to me. I mean, a lot of people have an experience like that when they're young. High school or college, have an experience where you say, I was renewed, I was refreshed. Man, I did. I can take you to the spot where God just touched me. It was a light went on. It was literally like the flip of a light switch. Now, there was some warming up that got me to the switch, but it flipped like a light switch. I was a Christian kid, grew up in the church, knew the Lord, but didn't really live like a Christian. That happens, by the way, to some church kids. It's happened a few times in history. I was one of them. And uh, God, I had seen a friend of mine who had, he was a Christian. Well, God had gotten a hold of him. He moved. He came back. This guy was on fire floor. I was like, whoa, so that's what a real Christian's like at age 16. I didn't know they made him like that at age 16. And I, I, and I wanted, I was being stirred. I was being convicted by his abandon to Christ. And so God was stirring me, stirring me. And I was thinking, what? I, I became dissatisfied more and more. And then there was a moment. I was on, on the phone with a friend of mine, standing in my bedroom. I knew this guy. We had never really talked much about the Lord. But I said, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, yes. I said, I'm a Christian too. And we don't live like it. He said, that's right. I said, let's start right now. This sec- Do you want to live for the Lord? Yes. There was no altar call. The- Do you want to live for the Lord? Yes. Do you want to? Yes. Right now we're living for the Lord. Next day we're in school, we're lab partners in chemistry. We didn't pay much attention anyway, so it was just a different focus. So this day, instead of instead of doing our experiment, we just started witnessing to the person next to him. We didn't know next to us didn't know what to say, know what to do. All we knew is we needed to tell him about Jesus. We're just telling about Jesus. How yeah, you become a Christian? The person thought we were nuts, but that continued, and not everybody thought it was nuts. And we saw a many renewal in our school. We saw people come to Christ. At one point we had. I don't know, 125 people coming at 6.30 in the morning to meet and study God's word in our school. It wasn't because just me and God was doing a lot of things, but it turned like like the light went on. I said, I'm tired. I'm dissatisfied. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to know and experience God and live the life I'm created for. And boom, God renewed and revived. So I can remember a time When God was, let me be honest, more alive to me than he is right now. I've had other experiences along the way, numbers of other seasons of my life where similar things have happened. That's the cycle of the Old Testament, by the way. The cycle is that oftentimes God's people experience him in glory and then become familiar. And all kinds of things happen. And he brings restoration and that's what's happening here. They're remembering back. Remember what it was like. That's a healthy thing to do. If you've had that experience, if you've never had an experience like that, man, God's got something for you. God's got something for you, which is great. You may be a new believer here. You say, oh, that's me right now. That's wonderful. But God has got something of renewal for us, I believe. Sometimes that time of renewal is associated, I've noticed this, with mission. Maybe a mission trip or something like that. For some of you, you'd say, Man, I remember being a part of this church plant and God was doing something in me. That's great. That was also eight years ago when we began. But there'd be people who say, man, that was a restoring time. I was going for it. I was new here. I didn't know anybody. What did I have to do but invest my life in the church and try to reach people for Christ? That's why I was here. And you say, I know a season like that where I wasn't in the status quo. I was learning and growing and being renewed. And I believe God wants to stir a number of us to start with remembering past mercy, which will cause an utter dissatisfaction with the status quo and will renew a heart of hunger for God. That's the whole point of this. He doesn't remember the past and lead the church, the people of God, Israel, doesn't call them to remember The past in some nostalgic way. Oh, those were the days. Like they'll never be again. Those were the days leads to, and I'm pressing into God because that's the next section. Those were the days leads to, verse 4, restore us again. Do you see that? Past mercy leads him in the midst of present distress, verses 4 to 7, to cry out, restore us again, O God of our salvation. God, you saved us. God, you are a saving God. God, you've given us life. Now restore us. Restore us. It's not good right now. It's not as good as it could be. It's not as good as it was. It's not as good as I believe you want it to be in terms of my relationship, our relationship with you. And so the people of God in present distress, the second section, are asking for God to restore them. They're crying out they're saying, put away your indignation. Now, these next couple verses, I'm not going to take the time to really develop this out. It, it, it does bear, it raises some questions and bears some explanation. I'll try to give some headline explanation uh, to it uh, so that we get to verse 6. But he's saying here that they're experiencing the indignation of God, the people of God are. Not lost people, the, the people of God, the covenant people, Israel. Um, the word can be translated displeasure. It can be translated even annoyance or kind of carries the idea of even could be an annoyance or an offense. What he's saying is, God, our actions towards you or our inaction, as the case may be, our inaction towards you, it's annoying to the holy God of the universe. You just, justfully would, uh, j- justly, righteously would have indignation towards us. You, We are acting in a way that is not pleasing in the sense of honoring God. Our actions, our heart, our life, it's not honoring to the God who's given himself for us. And so, Lord, we, we, we please put that away. Shut the indignation. Stop that. He goes on to even use a word like anger. Will you be angry with us forever? We're experiencing something right now, the people of God are saying, that, that, that it, it, it appears to us like you are angry with us. You're not going to be that way forever, are you? I mean, you're not going to be that way to all generations, verse 5. So what does this mean? They're in a situation where they feel distance from God, difficulty from God, uh, something. Discipline, that's a word we could use that's used in the New Testament, the discipline of God. He loves his people, so he disciplines them. Well, when we read about the anger of God, it's very difficult for us to relate to this because we only have human experience, and human anger is almost always, not always, but almost always sinful, isn't it? And so if you are an angry person, you read that and go, whoa. Or if you've been the subject of someone's anger, particularly if you have, maybe you grew up in a home, maybe you were abused by an angry parent. Uh, Maybe you had an alcoholic parent. And so anger to you means for no reason flying off the cuff and you bearing the brunt of someone's abusive speech or abusive hand or belt or whatever it is, a fist. And so to you, the, uh, it's unthinkable that we could think of God as angry because anger is this uh, violent, out-of-control action of someone who sought to harm you rather than love you. So how could God be, maybe we have a category for God being angry against sinners who hate him and reject him, but this is the covenant people of God. Well, it's easier for me to say what it doesn't mean than what it does mean. What it doesn't mean in the scripture when we read of the anger of God is that God is anything like your angry parent, your angry spouse, your angry two-year-old, your angry you. He is nothing like that. God always acts for his people's good for their best interest out of love for them. And he is utterly self-controlled. God never acts capriciously out of control, you know, just, just blowing up. God never does that. He's never sinfully impatient. Matter of fact, the Bible says he's, uh, he is forbearing. He is infinitely patient with us. God is patient with his people. But anger, his anger is in essence a a way that we understand humanly to speak of his revulsion, his opposition to sin. The perfect God of the universe, the holy God of the universe, is opposed to sin. Utterly opposed to sin. So opposed to sin that he became man and endured the judgment for our sin. He went to that cost to rescue us from sin. So he is opposed to sin. And he will discipline, bring discipline to us in our lives through circumstances and various ways out of love to show us, to make himself available to us, to reveal his character and nature to us, to call us back to himself. So if this was a post-exil, if this was the group that came out of exile, if that was it, they were probably experiencing God's distance. They were probably a sense of his distance. They were probably experiencing a, rather than a fruitfulness, a frustration Because what happened is when they went to the land, restored our fortunes, it's great, we're free, we're back. And everybody, you read this in Haggai, Zechariah, everybody got busy with their life. You know what Haggai actually says? They started, they didn't build the temple, they started building their own casas. They just got their own McMansion going, built up paneled houses, which was a nice house. They took all their time, all their money, all their emphasis, all their focus on building their houses. Where are they going to live and settling in? And they settled. They, They went for the American dream, they built their house, and nobody paid attention to the temple, which was in shambles. And so they weren't experiencing the glory of God. They were working hard, and they weren't really getting great results with their crops. They didn't have the favor of god on their crops they didn't have the favor of god blessing them circumstantially why because god was getting their attention and saying i brought you back into the land for my glory not so that you could live consumed with your own house and so he in that situation he he uh disciplined them through a lack of fruitfulness and all that they put their hands to so they looked at it and said what's going on god Here, they're obviously turning. There's no mention of confession or repentance. God doesn't call them to confess or repent. They are likely apathetic, but now they're becoming attuned to God. And they're wanting whatever circumstances, if it's not that situation and it's another one, they're wanting whatever circumstances they're facing to go away, and they want to be revived by God. They want their present distress to change. God is not near in their sense, and they want him near. They have felt his opposition in some way, and they want to know and experience his nearness and his favor. And he has done this because he loves them, and now they're to the place of saying, will you not revive us again? In the group that I'm describing, they needed to build the temple. In the group that I'm describing, they needed their city built up and strengthened to re-inhabit the land. They needed the glory of God in their midst through their worship. And now they're saying, revive us, God calling them back. This is a great place to be, this verse 6, because the circumstances aren't ideal, but the request is wonderful. It shows the work of God in them. They've either previously repented or what, doesn't really tell us. But they're at the place where they're saying, God, we want you. We want to be revived. I don't want to be consumed with me. I don't want the status quo. I don't want to just go through religious motions. I don't want to be a nominal Christian where I have the name believer, but if you look at my experience, there's no sense of God in my life. I have a Bible on my shelf, but no hunger for it in my heart. I know how to pray, but I don't really, I'm not that interested. Truthfully, I'm not interested enough to, to pursue God in prayer. I'm busy. I'm active. I'm not waiting on the Lord. And they're wanting to be, we want to be, this passage leads us to be, to want to be revived again. And notice the prayer, will you, the emphasis, it's, the you is emphatic. In the language, will you not revive us? That's the emphasis. If there was an all caps word in that verse, it would be you. You, will you, the only one who can revive us, not revive us. Will you not revive us? Revival, renewal, refreshing, replenishing spiritually, it's the work of God. It's not the work of man. We can plan an evangelistic meeting. We can plan a prayer meeting. We cannot schedule a revival. We cannot schedule a renewal. You cannot put your coins in the machine and pull out revival. It is the work of God. We can posture ourselves. We can become aware. We can do what they're doing, cry out and wait on him, and we can have great confidence that he will renew and revive. That's the end of the verse. Great confidence. Surely it's going to say God will do this. We can have great faith, but we can't make God. That's the work of God. Revive Us, again, like in days past, they ask God to revive because only God can revive. Only God softens a heart. If your heart is softening towards the Lord at all, that's God. That's God. If your heart is not soft, this is really a series of, if if nothing else, and I'll get to this in a second, I just want us to be honest and not play games. Or be religious or do our deal. I want us to be honest. And if honestly you say, I, I don't really have, I'm a believer for sure, but I don't have a lot of desire to pursue the Lord like I did at one time. If that is you, then just realize the softening of your heart is the work of God. The fact you're aware of that means God's already working. And if you're becoming dissatisfied with that, that's the work of God. And let's blow on that ember. Let's trust God. Let's pray. Let's open up. Let's get someone around you. Let's get truth in us. But that's a good, only God can soften your heart. Only God can give you a hunger and a thirst for him. If your soul is parched and you're getting thirsty, that's the spirit of God at work in you. That's wonderful. You would never create that on your own. That's the work of God. And if you're not thirsty, then would you pray this? God, make me thirsty for you. Would you pray that? With, we need to pray that. We cannot make revival happen, but we can ask, we can seek, we can knock, we can wait with confidence that God is a renewing and a reviving God. Why do they ask to be revived? The motive's very clear here. What's the goal of revival prayer? We'll look at verse six again. Will you not revive us again? You, God, you're the kind of God who revives. Who else could revive us? You're a reviving God. So will you not give us fresh life again? And look at the next verse or the next phrase, that your people may rejoice in you. Here's what we want, God. We want to be about you. We want to get excited about you. We want to rejoice. We want to have joy again. That's what that means. We want joy again because of you. We don't want to chase stuff and things. We don't want to say, my heart's empty, so if I just accumulate a little more, then I'll have joy. That's a lie. We're tired of chasing that. We don't want that, Lord. We want to rejoice in you. Lord, we don't want to just be running to the next entertainment experience. So that for a few minutes or a few hours, we, we forget about how empty and dry and artificial we are. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with entertainment. The only problem with entertainment is when it's a replacement, a substitute for God. Various things like that could be a gift from God to us. But when they become a substitute for God, that's a totally different thing. When I'm finding joy in those kind of things... See, the revived heart is the heart of joy in God. Not just happy, oh, I'm giddy, I'm happy, I'm revived. No, it's the heart that says, I find joy in God. I want God. I love God. God is real. God is near. The, the, sh- the worldly promise, the things, the shine on the worldly promises, the shine's being rubbed off. The shine is being rubbed off. It doesn't look glittery. The shine is on the glory of God. That's what I want. I don't want to chase the stuff that does not satisfy, does not fulfill, does not last. They're substitutes for God. The person who finds joy in the Word, the person who finds joy in God's ways, God's truth, God's work, God's presence, God's church, God's people, God's activity, God's mission, that's the revived heart. I find my life, my joy, my being I got to have him. I want to be a part of what's he's, what he's doing. I want to give my life to what he's called me to do. I want to be faithful in my various roles in life because that's where I experience him living as he created me to be. I want him. So, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because it was that way and it's not that way. You know, I'm speaking somewhat. You may say, well, everything you said, maybe I didn't have it. But you know generally what I'm talking about. My heart was warm. My heart was alive. God was real. Now he's real intellectually. I mean, I've never given up my confession of faith. I believe in him, but, oh, I'm not experiencing him like I did. It's been a while. And if it's been a while, it's time to ask. It's time to seek. It's time to Knock. Some, some don't know this experience. Maybe you've never even been converted. God wants to give you life for the first time. That's not revival. That's a vival. It's not really a word, but you need vive, not revive. You can revive after you get vive. So you can get it again after you got it the first time. God wants to give you new life. I believe that's, that's really a part of renewal. But renewal is the church coming to life, the church having spiritual life, the church representing God, the church full of God, the church saturated with the life of God and the joy of God so that it spills over and others experience the same. Others are saved as well. God saved us in Christ and has given us life in his spirit so that we'd find our life in him. Look at verse seven. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. God, we've got to see something. Show us your steadfast love. This is a word that means his covenant love, his covenant faithfulness. Lord, show us your grace to us. Show us your love. Show us, make us aware that you stick to us when we don't stick to you. Make us aware that when we drift off, you come after us. Make us aware that when we're unfaithful, you're faithful. Make us aware that the gospel is glorious in what you have done for us. Make us aware of steadfast covenant love that you hold us, you secure us, you will come back for us, you will take us all the way to glory for eternity. Show us that steadfast love. Show us lo- the love, which loves the unlovable show us the love that says hey, we see what you've done for us now We've forgotten and we'll go do our own thing and forget about you and you still love us show us that love that Stick to it love that relentless love that's present in christ and is ours in the spirit show us that love Oh lord, because that'll warm our heart That'll warm our heart. That'll draw us That'll make us say there is not a love like that in the world So why do I want to chase it? I have the true love God's love. Show us that love. Make us aware of what you've done. Don't distance yourself, God, but come near us. We know he dwells in us. But our our experience, our awareness can feel distant at time. Don't be distant. Help us to see who you are in us, for us, with us. Come near. I love the next verse. Let me hear verse 8, what the Lord will speak. This could have been the psalmist. This could have been a prophet. It doesn't really tell us what's going on there. But somebody's going to hear from the Lord and report. If you're going to have renewal, it will be from hearing from the Lord. And if you're going to hear from the Lord, it will be right here. Or in the device of your choice where you have a Bible. Got to be relevant to the times. Uh, It will be right here. If you are going to be renewed, it will not come apart from here. And if it does come apart from here, it will lead to nonsense, worse than nonsense. It'll lead to heresy. Revivals that aren't tied and don't flow from the scripture and the message of the gospel end up in all kinds of craziness. A lot of cults have been born in that environment. So it'll be tied here. I need to hear what God has to say. If I'm going to be revived, it will not come separate from here. God will need to work through the word in us. And so he says, what will God say? Here's what he'll say. He'll speak peace to his people, to his saints. God speaks peace to us. And then he gives this great picture of future glory. I'm going to be brief on this. But look at the future glory. Surely, verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Surely, absolutely, certainly, it cannot be any other way. God is near those who fear him. Those who are aware of his greatness, those who see him as he is, God is with them. God is near them. God is sustaining them. That glory may dwell in our land. They had a physical land. We don't have a physical land where God, you know, his covenant people live. We're international. Wherever the People believe in Jesus. That's his people. That's his land. So we want the glory to dwell in his church and in his people today. Verse 10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's this poetic view of the character of God. Steadfast love and the faithfulness of God meet and are our experience. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. We see that probably portrayed more beautifully In the cross, than anywhere the righteousness of God and the peace of God meet in the death of Jesus on the cross. Righteous because God is announcing he is holy and this is the penalty for sin, that God himself must become man and endure the penalty for our sins and peace because we are reconciled and at peace with God because of the work of Jesus, because of the cross and the resurrection to his new life. We We have new life is what I meant to say in him. 11 faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Faithfulness springing up from the ground that may literally be you know, crops, because the next verse, verse 12, the parallel statement's kind of, yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. So it may mean God will faithfully bless us through crops, or it may be, it could be more metaphorical. Faithfulness comes out from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. The people of God are swimming in the faithfulness of God, the character of God, the nearness of God, his steadfast love, his righteousness So it could just be a tangible blessing. But whether it's a tangible thing or not, they're experiencing the faithfulness of God. They know it. They see it. Verse 13, righteousness will go before him and make his steps away. He will lead us in a right path. So you see how they look at past mercy... In present distress, they cry out for renewal, refreshing, revival, and they look forward and say, God's going to do that. Surely God's going to bring that. Here's what it's like. We're going to be living in steadfast love, faithfulness that we can see and experience and discern. Righteousness. What a day this is going to be, he describes. And, of course, that will be the day ultimately when Jesus returns. But even even before then, this may not just be an inter- um, Eternal picture, this may be a temporal experience as well. Look at that description of God's character. So this mercy in the past leads to crying out for revival in the present with a, sure, with a sure confidence of God working in the future. That's how this psalm sort of works. Back to the bullseye. Verse 7, show us, I'm sorry, 6, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Three words to close. Number one, assess. Honestly assess where you are today. That's what I want to appeal to you. Honestly assess. I'm not saying that in a way to induce guilt. I mean, your assessment may be, God, I've never known God more nearly than I do right this second. Praise God. Spread the wealth. But assess. Honestly assess. Seriously. I mean, we're at the beginning of the year. Let's seriously take inventory of our lives. The reality is we don't usually even stop or slow down enough to take inventory. We just keep moving. We just add activity. When the soul feels barren, we just do some more religious stuff. That's best case scenario. Maybe we go and do non-religious stuff and try to fill our soul with stuff from the world, which will never satisfy. But neither, neither will religious stuff. Only God satisfies So assess, is God real to you today? Is his word alive to you? Is his presence near, full to you? Was there a time when you were communing with him in a different way? Can you look back at a time and say, there was a time when I was communing with him in a different way? I sat in our pastor's meeting this week, and said, hey, here's what we're about. we were talking about the Sunday service. And uh, I just said, man, I need a revival. And I, I'm not even sure I feel qualified to be preaching on revival when I wouldn't describe my own soul right now as swimming and overwhelmed in the river of revival. I, I, that's, that's not right. I feel like I have been there at times. You know, always could experience more. But I have experienced him in restoring, renewing ways. But I'm not right now. And I just thought, you know what? I think that really qualifies me to preach this text because I need this. I'm with you. I want to be on a journey. I want to be on a journey through the Word for more of God in a fresh way. I need revival. We need, many of us, not everyone, many of us do. So assess how's God calling you back to Himself? Here's a question to assess. If you were experiencing personal renewal in Christ right now, what would that look like? What do you think would be different in your life if you were experiencing renewal in him? Assess. Number two, ask. Ask for help. Ask for it. Stop. With a dry soul, stop. Go before the Lord and ask him to work. Just like we read here. That's what this passage is all about. Let's come together and let's ask together. We pray on Fridays at 6.30 down the hall. Um, come and pray with us for renewal in our midst. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for the church. Let's pray for revival. We'll pray that people meet Christ who don't know him. This this psalmist and this community is serious. When I read this, I just think, these guys are serious. Nobody's not looking at their watch. They are serious for God, and they're crying out. And so, is that me? Is that you? Are we complacent? Are we distant? Are we distracted? Are we rebellious? Maybe you're actively moving away from God, an act of rebellion. Ask him to stop you. Ask so that you may rejoice in him. Ask for your own happiness and joy. We're asking for our joy, lasting real joy in God. That's what he has for us. This is a good thing, This isn't painfully giving up stuff that's really making me alive. This is giving up death so that I may experience life. That's what this is. Ask for his help. Lastly, wait with confidence. This prayer is not, well, I sure hope it works out. This prayer is confident. What is God like? You will revive. Will you not revive? He's asking that, but he goes on to say, surely you will. God is the one who revives. He revives his people, he renews, he restores, his mercies are new every morning. He never gives up, he's steadfast love, covenant faithfulness to us. God will revive, we don't presume in some way, we don't presume in an inappropriate way, but we look at the character of God and say, will you not revive us? Do you not want your people joyful to to represent you in the world? Do you not want your people to enjoy you? Is that not why you saved us? So God, will you not refresh us so that we will experience you in all the ways that Jesus died and rose for us? So wait on him. The tendency with a dry, brittle soul is to bolt. It's not to wait for the Lord, it's to bolt. It's either to bolt to stuff and things or pleasure or whatever eases the pain and makes you feel alive for a moment. It's to run to that or it's to run to a new spiritual experience. It must be here, so I'm just out of here because I'll find some real life somewhere. The real life is here. It's waiting, listening, reading, crying out confidently in faith. This is where, this is where it is. It's not in bolting, except maybe bolting from our sins, it, 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 and bolting to God, but it, we often have this wrong view about something different's got to make a difference. You know, something's got a different's gotta happen. We need the Lord, is what we need. And so we can wait in confidence. Wait in confidence in front of the Lord. With put yourself park in front of Him. You can't trigger revival, but you can make God have to step around you for you to miss it. You can be right there as a recipient of grace. Said, so I'm here, Lord. I'm asking, I'm seeking. I'm knocking. God usually, sometimes God rushes in. He does different things. But usually, he refreshes those who are waiting. He refreshes those who are asking. He refreshes those who are seeking. He refreshes those who humble themselves and are willing to repent. He refreshes those who wait on him. Read you a quote and we're done. This is Ray Ortland writing about this psalm and everything. But this this is what he says. I, I felt like this is true for many of us. He says, those of us who've been Christians for a while, it becomes easy to think that we've pretty much exhausted the possibilities of the Christian life. We can settle into a routine of activities at church and in our small groups and Bible studies with little expectation of anything new. The familiar becomes predictable and everything from here on out will be more of the same. We dip our teaspoon into the vast ocean of the living God. Holding that teaspoon in our hand, we say, this is God. We pour it into our lives and we say, this is the Christian experience. God calls us to dive into the ocean. He calls us into ever new regions of his fullness, his immensity, his all-sufficiency. There is more for us in Christ than we have yet apprehended. Let's never think that we have figured him out Or that we have seen all that he can do. The Bible is not a guidebook to a theological museum. It is a road map showing us the way into neglected or even forgotten glories of the living this is a roadmap into the glories of the living God. It's not just a remembrance of something that once happened and is now in a museum. It is a remembering of what's once happened and pressing God into God and saying, do it again and greater. I want to pause for a moment. Just stand together. Let's stand together. And could we pause and just ask the Lord how he would have us to respond? You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at Frisco dot org.